You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. Brought to you by MyBookie, where you can sign up for a brand new account today using the promo code UGA to get a 100% sign-up bonus on that initial deposit. Charlie and I are trying to put money in your pockets each and every Friday with our picks of the week, and we had another big weekend this past weekend. So if you haven't already, get in on the action at MyBookie. It's MyBookie.ag, and just use the promo code UGA when you sign up. But I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today, as he does each and every week for our game recap episodes, is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And man, I just got back in town from Columbia, and I may need trauma counseling because I just witnessed a savagery in South Carolina. What we did to Shane Beamer and friends is illegal in, I think, 48 states in this country. I mean, good God. The spread coming into this game, it held steady at 24.5 points, which was one of the two largest spreads in series history, and that wasn't even close to being enough points. I was completely wrong there. I felt we would win comfortably 20, 24 points like that. The hook got me, but the hook did not matter. It could not have mattered less. We nearly doubled up the spread. It was 48 nothing before a stupid garbage time touchdown for the Cox late in the fourth quarter in route to the largest margin of victory over the Gamecocks in series history. And guys, we have made a habit of beating up on the Gamecocks throughout the history of this series, and this was the biggest beatdown of them all. And it wasn't just that. It's the way that we did it. Just complete and utter domination in a very hostile environment, I might add. So here we are, three weeks into the season, three absolute beatdowns so far, and two of those, by the way, are against Power 5 teams. And I told you guys after week one that we absolutely unequivocally should be the number one team in the country. It took the pollsters a, a week longer to figure that out. There's one one week and one lackluster Alabama performance later, but they finally figured it out. And this is exactly what I was talking about. This is exactly why we should be getting not just a couple first place votes, we should be getting every single first place vote in the AP poll right now. We went into a hostile environment to play a team coached by a guy the national media has adopted as, as one of their favorite sons in a game that was a very popular upset pick in the offseason. 
And we went in there and absolutely took their souls from the jump and never let up. That is what number one teams do. Yeah, I mean, we should have won the game because we just have better players. They should not have been able to to even really hang with us. But good teams win this game like, I don't know, 27-10, something like that. Number one teams and national title contenders do what we just did. Not that the rankings really matter all that much. I get, they don't. It's not the BCS area anymore, the AP poll. It doesn't really matter in any meaningful way. But like, if we're going to do it, like if we're going to go through that exercise of actually putting out an AP poll, let's at least do it right. And doing it right right now means having the Georgia Bulldogs at number one. So Curtis, that is where I am on this performance and on this Georgia Bulldogs football team right now. But what did you learn about this team after that performance in Columbia yesterday? I think more than anything is I learned they are who we thought they were. I think a lot of people were quick to, you know, quick to rush to judgment after the Sanford game. I'm not saying we weren't good, but just uh, questions about the red zone and all these types of things. And I thought, you know, we kind of chalked it up to sloppiness and things like that. And that's kind of what it looked like. I mean, against another good opponent where we had, I mean, it was SEC game. We had a lot on the line. There were some dumb prognosticators that even picked us to lose. And the team kind of came out, you know, laser focused and really just took South Carolina out of the game real quick and just From the kind jump. Of, yeah. I mean, very quickly took the fans, that crowd, everything out of the game and um, just took control. Yeah, and Curtis, I'll be honest with you. I kind of had that same reaction. Like, okay, this is what I need to see in this game, in this spot, in a hostile environment. This team is who I thought they were, who we all thought that they were. But you have to take a step back for a second. And and this is just something, this is how my mind works, Curtis. Does a game against a team that honestly might not make a bowl game this year, does that really, is that enough to tell you that this team is who we think they are? Because that was my initial reaction too. Then I had to step back and say, okay, well, did I really learn that from this game against this team? Like, what do you think about that, Kurt? I think yes. And the reason I say that is because of the crowd. You know, that was a, a raucous yeah. crowd and a big away game for them. It was raucous for uh, about seven minutes. Yeah. And I, yes. I think the biggest thing, but I think the biggest thing is, is like they answer the bell. And I think that's a difference in good teams and not. I mean, you look at South Carolina, uh, Arkansas this past week and struggled to beat Missouri State. Um, you see games like that where I, th- I can't, I think Arkansas is top 10. Um, but the fact is like where those teams struggled to take care of business. And yet that wasn't the problem for us. We came in, especially after a sloppy game against Sanford. It was so, it was refreshing to see. Um, it didn't carry over. And we responded the right way off of, I mean, that's what we said last week when we did this episode, talking about the Sanford game, recapping that. I mean, we knew that we clearly outmanned Sanford and, like, there was no way that we were ever going to lose that game. It was never in doubt. It was never going to be in doubt. But the execution was like, okay, like, well, we've got to do better moving forward. And the way that we responded in this game and responded in such an emphatic fashion in a bigger spot, and you mentioned earlier, Curtis, this was a very popular upset pick in the preseason. Takeo Spikes is the one that just comes to mind first. He wasn't the only one by any stretch of the imagination. There are a lot of people out there. I think with SEC Mike does an SEC podcast, I think. I think like maybe in April or May he was – beating the drums for South Carolina to upset us. And so this was this was a game that people, you know, this is the South Carolina hype train, Curtis, right? Every now and then, it's not always South Carolina. There's always a team, right? Whether it's Tennessee or South Carolina or Florida, whoever it might be. But when all these prognosticators see a name that they recognize that was a former highly rated guy, all of a sudden now the transfer portal, he's on this team, he's on that team. They like Shane Beamer. He's now one of the adopted favorite sons of the college football media now. And, you know, 
that's a recipe for all these all these talking heads out there saying, oh God, you know, South Carolina, you know, Georgia's losing a lot. South Carolina's getting Spencer Rattler, you know, Shane Beamer's turning this thing around. They were better than they should have been last year. And oh yeah, I think I'm, I'm gonna make that pick. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not so fast. Maybe South Carolina doesn't even live on the same planet that Georgia does right now. So to to beat them in that spot and just kind of answer that bell. I don't know how much of a bell it was to answer coming off the Sanford game, but especially offensively, we just didn't perform to our standard. That's what we said last week. And then to come back this week and write the ship, if the ship even needed to be righted, but to write the ship in whatever way it needed to be righted in one week and do it again in such an emphatic fashion, that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying this team is who I think that they are. I think this team is made of the right stuff. Um, that's one thing that that I would take away from this game is I think we we have this – we have this core group, especially offensively, that has played a lot of football for us. Stetson Bennett's been around for a long time, and he was back on this team in 2017. He's been around for a long time. Now, we have a lot of young guys on defense. We also have some core leaders on, the, on that side of the ball, guys like Chris Smith, Nolan Smith, even Keely Ringo has been around for a little while now. But I think this team, even the youngsters, we are made of the right stuff. We are focused. You, you said laser focus, and that's exactly the way to put it. We came out there from the jump and just – took it straight to South Carolina, and they didn't have a chance. They did not have a chance. I think as soon as that ball was kicked off, I think even, even everyone in the stands was like, oh, yeah, I don't think we have a chance. But we just went out and murdered them. Like We just flat out murdered that football team. We were focused in a very hostile environment, did not let that affect us, whether it was offensively or defensively. Usually defensively doesn't mess with you as much or the, the crowd isn't as loud when, when their team's on offense. But offensively, those veterans showed up, and we, we just – we just played, I mean, Chris, I don't, again, not a flawless game. It wasn't a flawless game, but we played a lights-out football game against a team that felt like they could beat us. against a fan base that thought they had a chance coming to this game. And uh, we quickly, very quickly, disabused them of that notion. But, all right, Curtis, let's dive into the different sides of the ball here today. And, uh, you know, in the first two recap episodes, after the blowouts of Oregon and Samford, we led these episodes with the offense because that was the new shiny toy that we were all enamored with because – you know, we had dreamed about that for having an offense like that for so long. And then now we finally had it. And of course, we, we had to talk about it. But today, I want to open with Old Faithful and give this junkyard dog defense some very serious love. And yeah, we spent the first two weeks saying, yeah, the production is there. We only given up three points through the first two games, but we still had questions. What about this? What about that? Is the defense really this good or does Oregon just suck? Like, what's the answer here? So, Curtis, we have some new information now. With, with this new information coming off this one over South Carolina, I'm going to just simply ask you, how good is this defense? I think it's really good, and I think it's just getting better, um, especially the inside linebacker position. That's where I kind of really harped on after game one, and it seems like they're starting to play better, like they're playing faster, which I think is the, the biggest – one of the most important things that you look at with players of how they're progressing and it's the faster they're able to play, the better and more comfortable they are in the system. And I'm seeing that at the inside linebacker position. Um, and I think that the inside linebacker play and maybe the play of the first, the front three are going to be the driving factor of how good this defense actually can be. Because I think in the backfield, we are better than we are last year or we were better than we were last year. In the back end. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, we're I, Kendrick was. I started to say we're more experienced, but we're kind of more experienced. And, uh, not really, I guess. If you think about it, so Malachi starts, you got a true freshman, you got Kamari Laster, 
who's a, a redshirt freshman sophomore. Did he redshirt technically last year? I think he was actually he's actually a sophomore. But a second-year guy, first year as a starter. But you got Keeley, who has now a full year of starting under his belt. you got Chris Smith, who's been around forever. So maybe we're not more experienced. You lose a guy like Lewis Seen, but we have some we have some cornerstones there, right? Like with Chris Smith and Keeley Ringo and some very, very highly talented youngsters. And Dan, Dan Jackson, obviously, is still there in the equation. But the back end, like we are very, very good right now. And I, I, that's my question was the front seven all along. And I know it's still very early and we haven't played the best teams on our schedule. We'll see how good Oregon ends up being. It was a really big win for them against BYU. So maybe that makes that win look a little bit better, but we still have some really good football teams to play ahead of us. But my, the front seven was, was my concern, but through three games, man, like I, I, we're, I think we've answered a lot of those questions. And Curtis, we did what we did yesterday to South Carolina. Now, granted, as I told you guys last week, this was the worst rushing offense in the league coming into this game. The worst rushing offense and the worst rushing defense in the league. So that's why I felt very good about this game because, you know, if you can't stop the run and you can't run the football in the SEC, you're not going to win many games, especially against a team as talented as Georgia. So, you know, that didn't altogether surprise me there. But no Jalen Carter. Well, I shouldn't say no Jalen Carter. He was limited. He played third down snap. He came in as a, in, in, in pastoral situations, just kind of situationally there. But he was not in there on standard downs. And we were able to completely stifle the South Carolina rushing attack Without Jalen Carter, clearly our best defensive lineman, probably our best defensive player overall in the entire team. How impressed were you with that, Curtis, with the, with the front being able to handle Jalen Carter not being out there on standard downs? I am very impressed, and I think the reason I say that is because if you think back to the, the fall scrimmages, um, the first scrimmage coming out, there was a lot of, you know, the defense played really bad. Well, yeah, Jalen Carter didn't play. And then they talked about how much better the defense played um, in the second scrimmage when Jalen Carter played and um, did play. And so I think that's why it's important to see that they are growing where it's not all relying on him. Because we know who he is. Like, we, we don't have any questions there. We know who Jalen Carter is. That dude's a future first-round draft pick, top 10 draft pick as far as I'm concerned. We'll see how things shake out. But he's the real deal. We've known that, we've known that for a while now. That's nothing new to us. But it was the other guys, and especially like not having a guy like Jordan Davis to eat up blockers and allow us to defend the run against with even numbers as, as easily as we had in the past. But guys like Warren Brinson, curse Warren Brinson might – I mean, maybe Malachi Starks is the, is the surprise, I guess, because you know you, you don't expect a true freshman to come in there and, and, and play that well right away and be that kind of impact player, although he was a highly ranked five-star guy. So it wasn't like he was completely out of the blue. And we knew that Dan Jackson's holding that starting safety spot was – was tenuous at best. So maybe that wasn't altogether surprising. To me, Curtis, Warren Brinson coming in and playing as well as he has, has been very, very welcome. And I wasn't, I, I thought he'd be in the rotation. And this is a guy that would, would play some snaps for us. I didn't know what to expect from him this season. How impressed have you been with him so far? I've been really impressed. Um, him and Tyrion Ingram Dawkins have probably been yeah. – I mean, we saw Dawkins in the spring, but, I mean, realistically, those have been the two guys that I've been most impressed with um, that we were just hoping that we were going to see a lot from them. And they both just I – mean, neither guy is big. All right? I mean, like, okay, according to the average human, yes, they're big. But compared to SEC football players, especially on the defensive line, they're not massive guys. But they bring a level of athleticism that – I mean, Jalen Carter has because he's a first-round draft pick – but you, a level of athleticism that most teams don't have on defense line. That's why I'm very curious to see how this ends up shaking out for this defense and how we go about structuring this defense, especially from a pass rush standpoint, which we'll get to in a second. Because, like, we, of course, we lose Jordan Davis. That's an impossible guy to replace. There's no way we're going to replace him this year. Maybe a guy like Bill Alexander can grow into that. We'll see. Maybe. But we don't have that guy, right? anyone ready to be that guy right now. 
and losing a guy like Devontae Wyatt, of course, that's a loss too. We know that. And if Trayvon Walker, I mean, he's already tearing up the NFL. But I felt like we had some raw material to work with there, some guys that hadn't played a lot but were really athletic. And I think is it a stretch to say, Curtis, that we might be like man for man across the entire defensive front, maybe even more athletic than we were last year? I think we're close to it. It's hard to say that when you look at those, just those three studs that were first round. I mean, Trayvon Walker, uh, I mean, he is athleticism personified. You know, it's tough. Yeah, it's hard to say it, but I think it's pretty close, to be honest. Yeah, like Michael Williams is not Trayvon Walker. I'm not going to put that on him. He's not that level athlete, but he's not that far off. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, Devontae Wyatt, you know, we talked all last year, was such an under we, – we were saying all all season long he was an underrated player on that defensive line, and, of course, he ends up getting drafted in the first round. We're like, oh, yeah, that's what we're talking about. I mean, he was a guy that created problems rushing the passer from the interior all season long. Um, but I don't – I mean, obviously, Jalen Carter is still on the team. You know, we, last year, this year, that same guy. But I really like what I've seen from Nas Stackhouse, although he's not you know, going to give you the interior pass rush of a guy like uh, like Devontae Wyatt was. But that's what Warren Branson's giving us, though, Curtis. He's that guy that's playing – He's not as big and physical maybe as Devontae was last year. He's not as old either. There's that. He maybe can grow into that. But I think he's – I don't know if I'm going to say just as athletic, but it's kind of like with Michael and Trayvon. There's not that much of a drop-off there. And you throw in Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, and that guy is – he brings a ton of twitch and athleticism. He's a guy that can play the five. He can play inside on certain situations, certain downs and distances. I really like what we have on the defense line. It's not the same level defensive line as last year, it's, but it's different. It's just a different group. And I think that we can be – I don't know if we can be as good up front, but it's not a massive drop off though. I guess that's what I'm getting at, right, Curse? Are you with me there? It's just like we haven't seen this massive drop off up front. It's not the domination against the run that we saw last year, but it's still a very strong, talented group in their own right with just different attributes and different um, abilities. Yeah, and that's one thing I love about our coaching staff is they do a fantastic job. And this is an old cliche, you know, you've got to build your system around your personnel. Don't force your personnel to fit into your system, right? And But not every coach does that, Curtis. Not every coaching staff does that. Our coaches not only preach it, not only do they talk the talk, but they walk the walk. They adjust our defense. Like we have our core principles, our core philosophies, our core, you know, looks. We, of course we do. But we make some serious adjustments season to season based on our defensive personnel. And that was one of the things I was really curious to watch early in the season is how is this going to look different as the season progresses? Because this is a different team. This is a different defense. We have some really good players, a few guys that are carrying over from last year, but we have, I mean, a ton of talent, but we have guys that maybe just, they, do things a little differently than the guys that we had last year. And I wanted to see how that was going to look. How are we going to rush the passer? How are we going to try to stop the run? Like, what does that look like with this team? I think we're starting to get some of those answers. I think some of these guys are starting to, to kind of fill out some roles for themselves as we, I mean, work. It's crazy to say, Curtis, but we're a fourth of the way through the college ball season. Like, that's depressing to say that. It goes by so fast. But here we are. And now we're about to, enter, I mean, you know, I've got one more. I don't want to say little sister of the poor. Kent State's a respectable. Uh, Mac team they're in the Mac championship game last year but I mean we've got one more non-con game here against an overmatched opponent that we should win handedly and then it's the meat of the schedule and we'll see how it plays out but Curtis we are not done talking about this defense got a couple more questions I want to bring your way but before we go there I do want to remind everyone that with college football back in our lives that means winning season has officially returned it's time for me it's time for Charlie it's time for Curtis it's time for you guys to make some money putting your college football knowledge to the test. 
And the best place to do that is at MyBookie. It doesn't matter, guys, if you're a seasoned better or a first-timer. MyBookie is going to get the most for your money with a double deposit bonus up to $1,000 for all new users. All you have to do is simply go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a new account, and use the promo code UGA. And on your first deposit, they will double your money. It's very simple, guys. $100 deposit means $200 for your account for you guys to use to make some money. So use our picks that we're giving you every Friday. We're giving you a bunch of winners, guys. Charlie and I haven't racked up all the numbers yet, but I know I had a good week, and Charlie says she had a good week too. So we're giving out winners all over the place on our Friday pick show. Use that for picks against the spread. There's prop bets. Hey, if you are feeling good about the dogs to actually go back-to-back, go ahead and put down a future on us to win the national championship. Whatever kind of bet you want, MyBookie has you covered. And again, it's MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA to get a 100% bonus on your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, Curtis, we're back. Got a couple more questions on the defense for you, and I just want to go here real quick. Is this the best defense in the SEC? Chris, everyone's expecting this big drop-off, at least people outside of, of Athens, outside the Georgia fan base, expecting this big drop-off with all the guys that we lost last year. And I guess I get that to a degree. But through three games, Curtis, we are number one in the country in scoring defense. Is this the best defense in the SEC, or is that just kind of a mirage right now because the schedule hasn't picked up yet? I think – I'm not ready to say it's the best, but I think it's one of the top three um, realistically with um... – a&M and Bama, because I think Bama is still going to hit their stride a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I think it's one of the top – I think if you're looking at the three best, I think we're squarely in there, and w- there will be a competition for that number one. I mean, there's no – there's absolutely zero doubt that we are somewhere in that top three. I mean, from a talent yeah. standpoint, clearly. I. It's hard to say because – I, I mean, through three it's, weeks, yes, we are, but – I'm just not and ready. The schedule to, will pick to, up. Let's just let's just call it what it yeah, is. Yeah, well, and up. not only that, we'll but we need to right. see we need to see Oregon. I think Oregon's gonna be the bigger measure. Big hey, but heard that, that. I mean, they beat the hell out of BYU, man. Yeah, they did, and I, so I think that that's gonna be. We need them to play better too. 
yeah. you know, help us. That was also, that was week one against Oregon. It's a new offense. Guys never called plays before. And that's like, hey, here we are. I said we were going to question the defense, but we're, we're throwing questions out. But the, the, you can, honestly, Coach, you cannot have better production realistically than what we've seen from this defense through the first three weeks, whether it's no, not know, with all, and especially with all that we've replaced also. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's only up from here, Curtis, at this point through three weeks, like you can say what you want about the opponents, whatever. I don't think South Carolina is that good. I had them. I would, I, I think I had them six and six. It might be more like five and seven now, but you know, we'll see, but I, that's not a great football team. I think Oregon's probably going to be in a nine and three, eight and four type team. I think after beating BYU, I think that very well could be a nine and three team, but again, you know, there's context in that first game, but Whatever, say whatever you want about the the level of opponents so far, the level of competition. It only gets better from here for this defense. We're replacing, I mean, more or less, outside of Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter, the rest of the entire front seven. And that has been the key to the defense for the past couple of years. And you have a true freshman starting at, at the five tech, replacing the first overall pick in the NFL draft. You have a true freshman starting the back end at safety, Malachi Starks. You have a first-time starter, a, a second-year player, starting at, at cornerback, Kamari Lassiter. You have two guys that were that are promising last year in, in small sample sizes at inside linebacker, but now are playing significant snaps for us. And we're still this good already? We're only going to get better because I do believe that we have the best teams in the SEC. I really do. I think we're better than Alabama in the back end. I believe that. I think we have better linebackers, better talent than they do. I mean, Moody's fine. Um, Toto is fine. They're, um, Toto, there's a reason Toto came back for, for a senior year. It's because he wasn't getting the draft love that he wanted. He's fine. He's, he's good. He's not bad. He's just not an elite player. Moody's not an elite player. I think we have elite talent at inside linebacker. I think we're better up front. Um, Jalen Carter is better than anyone that Alabama has in that defense and then tier that defense up front. Now, Will, Will, Will Anderson – Different story. I mean, they have better pure pass rushers. Yes, they do. They have those kind of impact players. But if you're talking about the defense in totality, especially our defense of brain trust, I mean, that, that's got to factor in as well. I'm, I'm going to say, maybe I'm a homer. That's fine. And, and I'll, if I need to adjust this, when we get more information, I will. But based on the information I have right now through three weeks, watching all these teams play, and all I do during the fall is watch college football, guys, I'm ready to say I think this is the best defense in the SEC. And that's a scary, scary thought with how well our offense is playing. Uh, but, Curtis, a couple more things here with the defense before we move on. Um, let me just go to this. Very popular question that we've gotten over the first two weeks of the season is, yeah, the defense looks good, but how concerned are you about the lack of sacks? And then fast forward to this week in Columbia, and you look at the box score, and what do you see? Another big, fat goose egg in the sack column. And uh, is this something, Curtis? I, I, we've already got a couple more questions about this. You know, it's like, yeah, we're winning, we're destroying people, but we play better teams. Is this something that's going to catch up with us? So, Curtis, what do you make of that? I don't think so. I mean, my biggest thing is right now, especially with the three teams we faced, I'm more interested in um, pressure. And if you watch Saturday, especially, I felt like our pressure was there. We were in Spencer Rattler's face. Um, more times than not, we just didn't finish it, which you're, it's going to be hard to finish it against a, team, a player like Spencer Rattler who can use their legs and like what you saw Bo Nix. Um, and so I think as long as we keep getting pressure like we have been, I'm okay with that because I think the sack numbers will come once you start playing some more um, less mobile quarterbacks or offenses that aren't going to try to get rid of the ball really quickly. Yeah, we defend those type of quarterbacks, guys that can make plays with their legs and, and get out of the pocket. And guys that we feel are dangerous outside the pocket, we defend them a little bit differently with a kind of a controlled pass rush, going to keep them in the pocket and force them to beat you from the pocket. Not to say that we don't blitz. We do. We, like, we came after them plenty of times in this game, but you also have to be under control and not you're not just rushing with reckless abandon like some teams might do against uh, 
quarterbacks who might just be more statues sitting there in the pocket. But you're exactly right when you say it's about pressure curse. Look, of course we want to get guys on the ground. Of course we do. Negative plays, negative yardage plays are that they're critical when you're playing defensive football and you want to you want to stop offenses from scoring. They are, I mean, when you when you get a quarterback on the ground for a sack or you get a TFL and you have negative yards placed defensively, that takes the offense's opportunity to score down. The, the percentages that they score go down dramatically. And even though we did not sack Spencer Rattler in this game, we had nine quarterback hurries according to the box score, right? And that doesn't even to me, that doesn't really do justice to what we saw out there. I, and, and I need to go back and rewatch it. I mean, I, I've watched it once on the way back home today. I'm going to watch it again. It's actually as soon as we get off this episode. And, and I might even watch it once again tomorrow. But uh, my very, very raw numbers here, I felt like we affected the quarterback on about half of the dropbacks. Does that sound about right to you, Curtis? That's what it's, I, I'm not seeing numbers, yes. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I I wasn't counting. I was watching different things the first time around. But as soon as we get off this, I'm gonna go back and I'll start counting it up. But it felt like, and I was I started counting about halfway through the game, and then I didn't have the first numbers, and I just kind of gave up. But it felt like about half the dropbacks we were getting some sort of we were affecting him in some way. Because how many times did you see Spencer Rattler throwing off his back foot in that game yesterday? A, a lot. It felt like that's what you saw more often than not. It wasn't just from bad mechanics. Yep, and that's what I told you guys last week was going to happen. If you can pressure Spencer Rattler, if you can just affect him, if he just even feels pressure, you don't have to get him on the ground. If he feels pressure, he's going to put the ball in harm's way, and we saw that. That interception he threw in the first quarter that Malachi picked him off with, that ball should never have been thrown. He got a slight bit of pressure in his face, just the slightest bit of pressure. He was slightly affected, threw off his back foot, threw the ball up, got nothing on it. Malachi's sitting right there, picks the ball off, and like, that's what, that's what I was telling you guys about. Spencer Rattler is not who everyone thinks he is. Like when South Carolina got him, like, oh my God, we got our five-star guys. Like you got a five-star in name only, man. No way in his entire life at the college level has this guy played as a five-star. And that was under the best, maybe the best offensive mind, arguably the best offensive mind in all of college football in Lincoln Riley, at least one of the best offensive minds. And he could, he wasn't that guy under him. So all of a sudden now he's going to go to South Carolina and he's going to be magically fixed. Like, no, that's, that's not going to happen. So that to me, Chris, that's what it's about. If you can affect the quarterback and take him out of his game, then you have accomplished your purpose. Of course you want to get him on the ground, but if you're going to take the quarterback out of the game or take him out of his game and affect him and you, and in doing so you essentially shut them out. Cause that's, that's what happened. Our starting demons, you know, shut them out. I mean, yeah, I know they got a garbage time touchdown late, whatever, but our first team defense shut them out. So to me, like sacks are a means to an end. If we get them and they help us win. Great. Fantastic. But if we can still win the game and shut out opponents without actually getting them on the ground because we're still finding ways to affect them, then does it really matter, Curtis? No, and that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, look, and I know that we're going to play better teams. I get that. And we're going to have to figure out a way to generate more pressure. That's gonna, that, that, is, that is fair to say. But again, pressure doesn't necessarily mean sacks. It can mean different things. It's just about affecting the quarterback. And to this point, I mean, against – well, we had one sack against um, – against Sanford, right? Well, that guy was running for his life the entire game. He, they had no chance to do anything offensively because they could not protect him. He was just trying to get rid of the ball, and they had no chance at all. We affected him all day long. Only had one sack, but you know what? They still did not score any points. To me, it's all about production. Are they scoring points? That's the ultimate telltale sign in production. And when you're shutting teams out, even if you don't have sacks, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Uh, but, Curtis, last thing here about the defense before we move on. I know it's tough to ask this following what was, again, essentially a second consecutive shutout. But outside of the pass rush deal, 
which maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. We'll see what happens. We just get a lot of questions about that. But outside of that, what is the biggest question you still have about this defense moving forward? Because, again, the competition is only going to pick up from here. Mine is, once again, I think it's the play of the defensive line and the linebackers because I think that's where we are most vulnerable at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would say vulnerable, but I, I, but question, I think if you had to look for a question, if you had to right? look, yeah, if you had to look for vulnerability of who we are right now, that's it. Yeah, if you're an offensive coordinator and you're game playing against Georgia and you're trying to figure, out, okay, where are they vulnerable? Then yeah, I, I think you're right. Like I think we still have to. I don't, and I don't know if we are vulnerable there, but I, I still think we have to answer the question: Can we hold up and stone a rushing attack? that is actually a legitimate rushing attack. That, that team that actually has really good players, and they run the ball by trade. You know what I mean? We haven't answered that question because South Carolina, again, they were dead last in the SEC in rushing offense coming in this game. We, we stoned them. They didn't do anything on the ground against us. But does that really tell us that we can stop a team that can legitimately run the football? I don't think that tells us that. I don't think it does. Sanford no, tells you absolutely nothing. Oregon didn't even really try to run the football. When they did, they actually had too much success for my liking. So I still have questions when you're playing a team like Kentucky, who wants to line up and run the ball down your throat, especially if they can get Rodriguez back. Uh, Florida even, I know obviously uh, they've come back down to earth after that that week one win over Utah. And Anthony Richardson is not who everybody thought he was and who everybody wanted him to be. Because, man, the national media really wanted him to be that guy. They really, really did. But – uh, he's not that guy. They still run the ball well, and his ability to, to, to kind of hurt you with his legs makes him a, a tough a tough team to defend on the ground. Those teams are coming up eventually, Curtis, and that's that's still my question. And I, I'm not saying that we can't do it. I'm not serious saying, oh, my God, guys, like, just wait. I'm, this is going to look really bad. It's going to be tough. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I need to see it. It's kinda, is that kind of where you are? Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah, and, and I hope to God we can answer the bell. And I think that we can. I think that we can. I just think it's fair to ask that question because we haven't seen this defense have to do that against that type of team that can actually run the football in that way. But we'll see. I think we can do it, but uh, that remains to be seen, I guess. All right, so another stellar performance by the defense, but not to be overshadowed, Curtis. This Georgia offense, man, just continues to show no signs of slowing down. Yes, as we said earlier, things got a little sloppy, from an execution standpoint against Sanford last week. But Todd Munkin had this thing hitting on all cylinders once again in Williams-Brice Stadium. Seven possessions for the first-team offense, six scores, including five touchdowns and one field goal right before the half. In fact, Curse, I don't know if you've seen this number. For those of you, some of you might have, but for those of you who have not, before we had to punt in the second quarter, in our past three games against FBS opponents, going back to the national title game, again, this is FBS opponents. Sanford's not an FBS opponent. So in our last three games against FBS opponents, our first-team offense had scored touchdowns on 11 consecutive drives before we had to punt against South Carolina in the second quarter of that game. But, Curtis, another 547 yards total offense, and that's with taking the Stars out, what, midway through the third quarter. 30 more first downs. That was the, the fifth time in the Kirby Smart era that our offense has uh, put up 30 or more first downs. Explosive plays, over, 30, over 50% on third downs distributing the ball all over the place. Once again, doing basically whatever we want to on offense, this time, though, to an SEC opponent. So, Curtis, let me ask you this. I asked you about the defense. This is the best defense in the SEC. Are you ready to say that this is the best offense in the Southeastern Conference? Um, I, I'm I'm very close. I'm very tempted to say yes. Because Are you still I giving Tennessee the I mean, edge? I I am, but it's just because I need this. But I also need to see them 
against more SEC teams that are have a pulse. I mean, they were they really got shut down by Pitt, Pitt in the second half. Yeah. Um, and so that's I'm, a good defense. That, that's a good defense. Give them that. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm very close to making it. Like I really want to, but I'm not mm. quite there yet. I think I am, Curtis. I think I am. And you call me a homer. That's fine. Uh, but hear me out on this. Does Tennessee have better players on offense than we do? I don't think so, actually. They do not. They do not. Their entire offense, they do not. Like, like Cedric Tillman might be the best receiver in the SEC, maybe. Like, he's really, really good. I'm not saying he's not. But that's one player. That That's what Hendon Hooker, really, really good, Curtis. Is he, like, is he playing, like, that much better than Stetson Bennett right now? Is he really? I don't think so. I mean, it's just he started with the Heisman campaign. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I think Stetson's playing just as well, if not even maybe better than Hendon Hooker right now. And Hooker's fantastic. I'm not saying he's not. He's a really good player. But Cedric Tillman's really good. Hooker's good. Jalen Hyatt's a, a good receiver. But their offensive line, there's not one player on the offensive line that's better than any of the guys on our offensive line. There's just not. Their running backs, they, have, they don't have one running back that's better than Kenny McIntosh. They just don't. They don't have anyone that can touch Brock Bowers. They don't have Darnell Washington. We just have more. Like you might say, Cedric Tillman. If you if you line up both offenses, say okay, let's look at these rosters, all the wide receivers. Maybe Cedric Tillman's the best. Maybe he is. Okay, and that and you can make that argument. And I wouldn't really have an issue with that argument. But if you look at the totality of the offenses in these rosters, you could look at Lad McConkey, Ad Mitchell when he gets back out. The Arian Smith's not out there right now. He's going to come back. He'll be back. Looks like maybe early to mid-ish October. Uh, Kiaris Jackson, uh, Brock Bowers. Darnell Washington, Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, Dejan Edwards, all these guys, the list goes on and on and on. I think we have better players than Tennessee does on offense. And if you look at the production curse, I know they score more points by a, a small margin right now, and they put up more total yards by a small margin, but that's because they run more plays. If you look at efficiency, we are averaging 7.9 yards per play. They're only averaging, I say only, it's still really good, 7.13 yards per play. So Curtis, I mean, that's, I mean, I think you can make that argument. And, and look, Tennessee, if someone wants to argue Tennessee, that's fine. And you're not crazy making that argument. But I think I'm ready to say, Curtis, through three games. And, we, and this is against two Power 5 opponents, too, by the way. Tennessee's only played one Power 5 opponent. Just putting that out there. And our, our efficiency numbers are better than theirs. So I'm just, just saying, man. Just saying. So I, I would say, me personally, yes, I think this is the best offense in the SEC. And uh, did you think we'd be saying that in the preseason, Curtis? Um, I thought there was actually a good chance. Um, we set, we saw all the pieces we had, and it yeah. really came down to the quarterback play, and the quarterback play has been strong. And I think it's been the difference maker. Yeah, and you know, I, I did say that. I felt this was going to be the best offense in Georgia history. But then you have Bryce Young coming back at Alabama. You got the Alabama offense. Now they've been rolling for, for years now. And, you, and then you got Tennessee and what they've been doing offensively. I thought we'd be in the top three offensively. I didn't know that we'd have what I think is the best offense in the league right now. And to me, that's that's I don't want to say it's clearly the case, but I feel pretty I feel pretty strong making that argument. I can make that with a straight face for sure. And we've got plenty more to talk about when it comes to this Georgia offense. But before we do that, I want to give some love to our good friends at Alumni Hall. So I was in Columbia over the weekend in Williams Bryce Stadium. It honestly was a, a, a relatively pleasant afternoon. Obviously, us doing what we did to South Carolina was incredibly satisfying. But weather-wise, that time of year, whenever we're in Columbia, it's usually like surface of the sun level hot, and it wasn't. Nice, decent, cool breeze. It was still hot, but it wasn't like I want to die level hot. But while I was making my way, the two and a half mile trek down from the Vista down to uh, the fairgrounds and williams Bryce Stadium, I got, I mean, I don't even know, man. Like, I feel like double digits. I wasn't counting, but it seems like double digits 
people asking me, hey, where'd you get that hat? And the hat I had on, I think I tweeted it out, but in case you guys didn't see it, it's it's one of, I got probably about 15 to 20 different Nike golf hats that I've gotten from Alumni Hall, and I love them because they have all the vintage logos that I love. You guys know I'm a vintage logo guy. And this week, I was wearing a red hat with the old vintage Georgia helmet with the old throwback face mask, and I had a ton of people asking me, hey man, like where'd you get that? I love it. And I had to tell everybody, got an alumni hall. And that's just scratching their surface, guys. Alumni hall, they legitimately have so many things that you cannot find anywhere else. Whether it's the hats I like to wear, brands you can't find anywhere else. Alumni hall is a Georgia Bulldog fans paradise. They have everything you could ever imagine. So check them out today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because alumni hall is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But, Curtis, obviously, yesterday, let's get a bit more specific here. It was the Brock Bauer show five catches, 121 yards, three touchdowns, one on the ground. It was almost like this was his, hey, don't forget about me game. But, you know, through the first two games, we were distributing the ball everywhere to everyone. And that was one of the things that was making us so tough to defend. It's one of the cool things to watch this offense. Like, everyone was getting involved. But, Curtis, this hasn't happened yet. But when we need a play in crunch time, because it's going to happen at some point. We're going to get a game. It's going to be tight. and We're going to need somebody to step up and make a play in crunch time. Even though we're distributing the ball all over the place to all these different players, is Brock Bauer still the go-to guy for this offense when we need a play? I think he is. Um I mean, he's the one guy that you can count on. Um, I mean, I think A.D. Mitchell's going to be pretty high up there, but with, especially with him out, he's the guy with the experience that we count on. I mean, Curtis, he's, it's got to be the, the answer's got to be yes, right? I mean, in terms of proven production, this guy, can he be stopped? In the, like, when he gets the ball in the open field, can you stop him? No. Like, one-on-one, can you stop I've, this guy? It's very rare. I mean, I don't think I've the ever power, seen him actually brought down by – he's, he's never brought down by just he, – he, he's like a running back in the – in the open field because like it, it you can never bring him down with just one guy he did play some running back in high school actually but yeah i mean it's it's just everything curse i mean his ability to run routes he's now become a ferocious blocker out there in the perimeter he what he was he wanted to be that last year but he had he was still a work in progress he is that guy right now him and darnell but you get the ball in the open field whether it's a screen game whether it's just like, it was like a, a quick little seam route like the one he took to the house with 78 yards i think it was uh, in the third mm-hmm. quarter, open the third quarter. I mean, when he gets in open space, he's either going to run through you or make you miss. One guy cannot bring this guy down in, open sp- in, in the open field. 
And this, this is the tight end we're talking about. So I think the answer has to be yes, Curtis. I mean, he's, he's got the track record. He can go up and high point the football. He's got incredible ball skills. He can make you miss in the open field. He can run the football. When we need a play on offense, and one thing that makes him so tough to defend too is we move him all over the field. You know, we, we move him out wide, you move him in line, you can move him offset, you can move him in the backfield, move him like an H back roll. It's really, really tough. Like you can't just defend him with one guy and say, okay, I want to sign this guy to Brock. Because we do a really good job. I'm going to talk about right here of manipulating the defense and force him into the looks that we want them to be in and then taking advantage of them in those looks with guys that are hybrid type players like Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. So I think this was, it's not his coming out party because we knew who this guy was, but this was his like, Hey, don't forget about me game. And I think he's still that guy for us. Like when we need to play, this is the guy that we go to and, and kind of building off this brought Bowers theme curse after hearing all off season, we had all these South Carolina fans, even some members of the media talk up Jaheim Bell, South Carolina's tight end as though he was better than Brock Bowers. And I had to laugh that all off season. Do you think our staff wanted to make a point in this game? Was it just a coincidence that this was the game that brought Bowers kind of breaks out this season? Or was that part of the calculus or just was it truly just coincidental? Maybe it's coincidental, but I, there's a lot of things that are very coincidental. Like Brock Bowers goes off. Um, Oscar Delp comes down to South Carolina and Georgia, and it seems like South Carolina is probably trying to do a lot of negative yeah. recruiting and a lot of underhanded stuff, and yet we get him. And we throw him a long touchdown pass. Like maybe it's just coincidental, but you also got to love that. That's the middle finger. I'm telling you, Kirby does not like Shane Beamer. I'm just going to tell you guys that he does not like him. He he says all the the right things in press conferences in the media. He loves Sam Pittman. He loves Dan Lanning. All these guys are on staff, gone elsewhere. He's happy for him. He does not like Shane Beamer. I'm just telling you, he does not like Shane Beamer. And um, case in point, did you see Curtis? Um, I didn't see it live. I saw on the rewatch coming home. Uh, how excited that pumped stop. up in the in the in the language coming out of Kirby's mouth when we got that fourth down stop. Oh yeah, and he was very angry when the students were on the field, kind of like looking at yep. Beamer. It felt like saying, "Like what what's going on?" And when Kirby got on that fourth down stop, when he jumps up and says first down mf'er and points the other way, Curtis, I swear to God, he's shouting at the South Carolina sideline. He's looking that way and shouting at them. I, and I know they can't it hear felt him that way, and because Kirby shows emotion, yes, but I've never seen it like that. I'm I'm telling you, dude, he was he was directing that towards the South Carolina bench. I'm telling you he was. I rewatched it 107 times. And yes, I swear to God, I will I will go to the grave swearing up and down that he was directing that to the South Carolina sideline. I, I swear to God he was. So I, I, I do, man. Like, and maybe I'm like, this is like, you know, you know, putting the tinfoil hat on and I'm just reading things and I was all going all conspiracy theory here. But I believe it, dude. I really do. I it's just almost too coincidental for that to not be the case. Just just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. But Curtis, a couple more things here. A lot has also been made of the lack of dominance in the run game over the first two games, only averaging 4.7 yards per rush over the first two weeks. And that, honestly, outside of the pass rush concerns, the second most popular question we've gotten so far this season is, how concerned are you about the run game? Well, after going for over 200 yards on the ground for the first time this season, averaging 5.9 yards per rush in the process, how do you feel about the state of our rushing attack right now? I still think it's good, um, and I think people forget that I still don't think Kendall Milton is fully healthy yet. Um, I still think he's coming back from his injury, and then with he Kenny McIntosh, right now, no, he doesn't. You, he's you, he's afraid to like, you know, kind of stretch it a little bit with that hand. Yeah, yeah I think it's the hand. Yeah, exactly. And then with Kenny McIntosh, like, what do, what do you care if it's running? Like when he's getting 150 yards a game between passing and rushing, what does it matter? A hundred percent, Curtis. It's it's just like the sacks. Rushing numbers are a means to an end. The ultimate goal is to score points and win football games. If we're scoring points at a, as, at as high a rate as we are right now, 
why does it matter if it's passing yards or rushing yards? Like I know we're well, so used to Jordan fans to those numbers. So angry. Well, fans were so angry too that we were running the ball too much, and now we're throwing the ball too much for their liking. <laughs> you honestly can't make everyone happy, dude. I just to me, I just want to win, and I want to I want to like destroy yeah. teams that I hate, and I hate. I hate South Carolina. I loved every second of being in that city over the weekend. And God, they they just we put them in their place. Let's just say that. There, there wasn't much talking going on after that game. Honestly, leading up to the game, they kind of I think they kind of knew what was about to happen because they weren't even talking much going into the game. That's not very much like the South Carolina people that I know and love. That, well, should say hate. I do not love them at all. Um, but yeah, there's a kind of a, a weird vibe there over the weekend, but I loved every second of it. But I mean, Curtis. You're exactly right. I, I want to say this too about the run game. I love how we're getting Stetson more evolved, like in actual design QB runs. Like he's not, no one's going to confuse him with KJ Jefferson. Like we're not running him 20 times a game. He's not a, a, a power guy. Like he's not that guy, but we're using him very well strategically. He has a rushing touchdown in all three games, Curtis. So speaking of KJ Jefferson, he's the only other quarterback in the SEC that can say that. Stetson Bennett. And like these are design runs. These are, are, are not scrambles. These are design runs. And I wanted to see more of that last year. And we're seeing more of that this year. I think that's going to help our running game moving forward. But going to what you were saying, Gersh, you're exactly right. The run game does not have to be dominant. Would it be great if it's dominant? Yeah, of course. It'd be awesome. But it doesn't have to be. We just need teams to respect our run game. And if you watch how South Carolina and every other team that we played so far this year, if you watch how they defend us, you will see what I mean. They react aggressively to our run action. That's all we need them to do because if they do that and they try to take away the run as aggressively as they have been through the first three weeks, you are seeing what we are doing to team through the air. We are carving them up. And Kirby talked about his, I don't know if you guys caught his press conference this week, um, but he talked about some of those perimeter pass plays being counted as rushing yards. Like when our staff counts up our rushing yards, they throw in some of those perimeter pass plays and the yards that we get from those plays. And the reason he does that is because those aren't called passes. Those are RPOs. Those are run plays with passes with RPOs attached to them. And Stetson is making pre and post snap reads. And he's looking at the box numbers, the box counts. He's looking at leverage. And he sometimes is just throwing the ball out to the perimeter. And we're counting those as rush yards. The, in previous years, we would just run the football into those boxes and maybe you get three or four yards and eventually you bust one. But right now we're just saying, no, that's not a favorable look for us. Let's throw it out to the perimeter where we have much more favorable numbers and we're just devastating teams there. So, the But the threat of run creates those opportunities, and that's what you need. You just need the threat of the run game and for teams to respect it. And Curtis, through three weeks, I mean, are you, are you seeing that? Are teams respecting our ability to potentially run the football? I think they will, and the fact is, Purdue Georgia's always known how to run the ball, and they're not going to forget to know how to run the ball, but they don't have to do it all the time like they used to in the past. So teams are afraid because they're thinking, well, if they can still ride, they still have the players to run it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, I mean, I I get where people are coming from with their questions and their concerns here, but, again, I just go back, just just like the sack numbers. The rushing totals are a means to an end. They're what helps you get to where you want to be, and that's putting up points and winning games, and we're doing that at as high of a rate as our program has ever done. So I don't really have any major concerns there, to be honest with you. All right, Curtis, let's wrap things up, man. Last thing here. I know you got to get out of here, so I'm going to let you just kind of run through here. we got to hand out some game balls. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys deserve some game balls this week, Curtis. You beat a team 48-7. And it could have been about 65 to zero if we really wanted to be. A lot of game balls should be given out, but we've each got three to give out. So who are you giving your game balls to? I'm going with Brock Bowers. I think that's a no-brainer. Um, second, I want to go with Malachi Starks. The guy just continues to get better and better. And I think 
I was, the guy's going to be an absolute stud. The, the better he, the older he gets, the more experience he gets. And last I want to go, Stetson. I mean, the guy played through a sick stomach. Still wait, 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 Curtis. Minutes. You are giving Stetson Bennett a game ball? I am, yes. I mean, he, he, this, I think this, this him, is the first. I think this is the first. It may be, but we pulled him in the third quarter. Um, and yet he still almost had 300 yards through a sick stomach. It literally where he puked on the field twice, I think, right before he throws a touchdown pass. Um, so I think those are my he three. He heaving earlier in the game. Is it safe to say, Curtis, are you coming around on Stetson Bennett? Have you I mean, resigned yeah. your presidency of the Stetson Bennett Hate Club? You know what? Sure. I, I think my thing more than anything is he's done what I said I needed to see him to do or what I said I needed to see him do to want to support him or to think that he's the quarterback we need, and he has done those things. Yeah, I, I, I will give it to you, man. You're very objective with this. It's not like a hate thing. You just you just didn't believe. And I think he's – is it fair to say he's made you a believer? He has. He's done, like I said, he's done everything I've asked of him, so why why not? Curtis, that is very mature of you, my friend. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, dude, from running our social media accounts, there are a lot of listeners out there who have been waiting a long time to hear you say those exact words. So uh, I think you might have just made their entire week. But hey, man, I know you've got to run. I'm going to stay on here for a little bit longer and hand out my game balls and wrap things up. I'm going to go ahead and let you jump off. But uh, we'll see you next week, man. All right. Sounds good. See you all. All right. See you. All right, guys. Curtis is out, but I am not done. I've got some game balls to hand out. And I do just want to add a little bit to what Curtis was saying there. So obviously, Curtis took the three guys at the top of my list, which I figured that was going to be the case. But hey, you know, whatever. Usually we go, we alternate, but he had to run. So I was going to let him give all three of his game balls out. And of course, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. And he took the three most obvious choices. I mean, were there any more obvious choices for game balls than Brock Bowers, Stetson Bennett, and Malachi Starks from yesterday's performance? No, there were not. So all good. But I just want to add something to Malachi Starks. So obviously Malachi Starks deserved a game ball, but this dude is playing lights out. Not only are we seeing the highlight plays from Malachi Starks, and we are seeing those plays, but here's what's even more encouraging for me when it comes to Malachi Starks. In fact, it's not so much what we are seeing, it's what we are not seeing. It's that we are not seeing those busts. And that's what Curtis and I were talking about in the preseason. We were trying to lay out our thoughts on the position battles coming to fall camp. And we were talking about safety. Obviously, we knew that Dan Jackson's spot, his hold at safety, was a tenuous hold at best. But we both were of the opinion that Dan Jackson was going to hold that job at least through the first game or two, first couple games, until somebody could could take that job from him, one of those younger guys who just did not have the trust of the coaches. And I felt that way coming the season, and it proved out to, to be the case, as Dan did start the first game. But I felt that way because I know how much of a premium Kirby Smart and the rest of the defensive staff, and especially Kirby, puts on trust in the back end, especially at safety. That is truly your last line of defense. It's called safety for a reason. And I just didn't know when or if any of those young guys, whether it was going to be Malachi Starks or David Daniel or Ja'Cory Thomas, whether one of those guys would be able to earn their trust to the degree that the coaches felt comfortable enough putting them out there as a starter in meaningful situations. I didn't know if that was going to happen. I was hopeful. I knew the talent was there, obviously, but you just don't know if the trust is going to be there. Well, Malachi Starks has earned the trust of the coaches, and you're seeing why. He is not giving up those busts, and it's not for lack of trying. Teams are trying to target him and our linebackers. We'll talk about some of the linebackers here in a minute, especially Smile Mondin, but they have responded. Malachi has responded. Smile has responded. They both had some bust in week one. Now, we didn't have to pay for it. They were not able to hurt us. Oregon was not able to really do anything off of that, but 
there were moments where they did not know what was going on, especially when it came to pass coverage. You know, Smile was having trouble with some of the pick plays. Malachi was kind of just hanging out in no man's land at times. And that's to be expected. I'm not ripping on them. They're young guys. They never really played that much before. But the speed at which they have cleaned that up and the level that they are playing at right now in coverage with teams actively trying to target them in the passing game, trying to create situations for them where they can easily get confused and they could bust and create big explosive plays for the offense, it hasn't been happening. And that's not to say it's not going to happen. Honestly, at some point, it probably will happen. But it also happens to vets. It happens to anybody. But those guys are not liabilities right now in terms of their knowledge of our system and what we are trying to accomplish. And I love to see that from Malachi Starks. And here's a number for you guys. So far through three weeks of this 2022 college football season, there have been eight interceptions made by true freshmen in all of college football and all of FBS football. Malachi Starks has two of them. To put that another way, Malachi Starks has accounted for 25% of all interceptions made by true freshmen so far this season. This dude is legit. He's a future first-round draft pick. His talent is off the freaking charts, and he's already this advanced from a knowledge standpoint and a trust standpoint. It's scary to think how good this guy can be. So great call by Curse. Yes, he stole the three top obvious choices, but you know, Malachi is almost too easy to pass up. But as for my game balls, I'm going to have to dig a little deeper here than Curtis did. I'm going to go with a guy that clearly stood out for me. He was probably fourth on my list. I'm going to go with Pop Dumas Johnson, an inside linebacker. I thought he had a really, really good game. You know, watching the game live, I, I felt he played really well. And I thought Treslin Marshall flashed really well. He didn't play as much as he played really well when he got opportunities to. But but going back and re-watching the game once already, I watched a couple more times, but my first rewatch. Pop stood out even more to me than he did in-game. And I thought he played really well just sitting there in the stadium watching the game. He led the team in tackles, had six tackles. And one thing that's starting to show with, with Pop right now is that he's not quite the level athlete that a guy like Smile Mondin is. And not many guys are because that dude can fly. But he's still a really, really good athlete. But he is a fantastic tackler, like a really, really good tackler. And you would think, oh yeah, inside linebacker, of course, that's kind of what those guys do. You have to be a good tackler. But it, it, it's more than just, like, okay, guys on the ground. He is a really, really good tackler. He breaks down well. He gets guys on the ground. And, and I'm, I'm pointing that out because it's becoming harder and harder in this day and age to be a really good tackler because teams just don't practice it. Practice is not what it was like when you and I were growing up. Most of you guys out there listening, if you're around my age or a little bit older, when you tackled live every day in practice. That's what you did. Like dummies were just for kind of technique work for warmups more or less, but everything else we did, we tackled live, whether it was inside drill, whether it was team drill, we were tackling actual live humans. And that helped us become better tacklers. And I know it's easy when you watch a, a football game on a college football Saturday and you see these guys missing tackles left and right, because this become essentially an epidemic in college football and in all levels of football. Guys just can't tackle anymore. And, you know, people like you and me who grew up practicing one way, we sit there and say, oh my God, like fundamentals, man. Like, what are you doing? You got to learn how to tackle. How can you possibly miss that tackle? And it's like, well, they don't actually practice anymore because they don't want guys to get hurt. Practices in general have become far, far less physical. I mean, we have bloody Tuesdays. That's what we do every week in practice. Tuesday is like our actual physical practice. Outside of that, it's they're almost like glorified walkthroughs in a way. Like they're honestly what I would probably have called a walkthrough in, in high school and in college, but just with full pads on. But you're not really doing much full contact at all if it's not one of our bloody Tuesday practices. So for a guy like Pop in this day and age, especially at this young of an age, to be able to tackle as well as he does when he doesn't get those opportunities to actually practice it consistently in practice, I think that's impressive. And I think that's something that's really going to make him a big-time player for us moving forward. 
And for my second game ball, I'm going to go with wide receiver Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint. And you might be saying, huh? What are you talking about, Tyler? This guy had one catch in the game against South Carolina and he's getting a game ball. And my answer would be yes, he's getting a game ball. He only had one catch. It was a nice catch. Stetson fitted between a couple defenders and he took a shot. He kept kept hold of the ball. And I'll say this about Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint in terms of his ability to to be a, like a legitimate receiver in terms of making plays down the field for us. I think he can do that. I think if he gets opportunities, he can be that kind of guy. He was still come back off the injury last year. I think he looks better. I think he's in better shape. He looks smoother and faster out there. And this is a guy, I've, I've said it before, I was high on him coming out of high school. Maybe this is confirmation bias on my part. I'm trying to pull myself back from that and take a, and just kind of take a step back. But I, I thought he was a really, really quality receiver coming out of high school. I thought he had a chance to be maybe not an alpha number one guy, but a really big contributor for us. I still think he can be that guy. Now, the numbers haven't shown that he's that guy as a receiver yet, although he was coming on late in 2020 before, yes, again, his leg fell off. But he's back from that. The leg has been reattached. But this guy has turned himself into a straight-up elite perimeter blocker. And I know for a lot of people that doesn't matter. For me, that matters. Number one, it tells me what kind of player, like what kind of teammate you are. Are you the kind of guy that cares about winning? Are you the kind of guy that cares about your teammates? Because if you're not, you don't do those kind of things. You're one of those receivers, the diva receivers out there, just you want you want your touches, right? It's all about me. Not with Marcus Rosemead Jackson. This guy is a leader on this team, and Kirby singled him out on multiple occasions for that for a reason. He goes out there and he does the dirty work, and he doesn't really get rewarded with catches, guys. He does not get a ton of catches, but that never plays into his willingness and ability to go out there and fight his ass off blocking on the perimeter. And he's had to grow and get better at that. You know, last year, you could tell he wanted to be a good perimeter blocker, the effort was there. But the results were not always there. He wasn't great at it. This year, I know it's a small sample size, but through three games, this guy has turned himself into a flat-out elite, ferocious perimeter blocker. And that's big in the run game. And that's also big on some of those perimeter screens that we throw when we're just kind of throwing the ball out there to perimeter and letting guys make plays in space. You see where there's tight ends or receivers. You see guys blocking out there. And I know that obviously Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington get a lot of the praise for that. And deservedly so. Those guys are dominant blockers. But Marcus Rosemey Jackson is also doing one hell of a job out there blocking, and I love to see it. That's just a that just tells me what kind of teammate and guy this is, and that's the kind of culture that we need. Guys that don't need touches to go out there and do their job and do the dirty work where they're not going to get any appreciation. But you know what? On this podcast, this dude is going to give him some love and give him some appreciation. So tip of the cap to Marcus Rosemey Jackson. Love that guy. And for my final game ball. I told you I was going to have to dig deep, and I'm going to dig real deep on this one. Now, there's a couple of guys I could go with that, that play a lot of snaps. We'll get opportunities to give them game balls later this season. I mentioned a guy like Warren Brinson, for example. But I'm going to give a game ball to a guy that I don't know if we're going to have many opportunities to give game balls to this season. But I'm going to give one to him this game anyway. I'm going to go with backup quarterback Carson Beck. No, he didn't play a ton, and he only got a couple of drives where he was actually allowed to throw the football. But this guy... In each game this season, when he's gotten opportunities, and he's gotten opportunities in all three games, he has made the most of every single opportunity that he's been given to throw the football. I don't know if you guys have looked at the numbers, and I know you can say it's garbage time. and I understand all that, and that's fair. That's fair. All that's true. But he's 15 of 19 on the year at 79% completion percentage, averaging 9.4 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns to zero interceptions. He had a touchdown pass. Really, it would have been a touchdown pass to Dylan Bell if it wasn't for the pass interference. And then he had the touchdown pass to Oscar Delp later that same drive. 
Again, I know it's mop-up duty, and I know he's not getting a ton of opportunities, but this dude is locked in, and he looks far more comfortable and far sharper than he has at any point in his career. If, God forbid, I don't even want to say it. I don't even want to put it out there in the universe, but if just just say if for some reason he had to come in and play significant snaps for us, I actually feel like we could win football games with him, and I don't know that I felt that way last year. I don't think our coaches felt that way last year. That's why he was named the number two quarterback, but then was bypassed by Stetson, who wasn't even really in the picture when we actually had an injury to the starter. And I don't think coaches felt he could win games for us last year. This year, I think that I think that he can, and I think our coaches feel the same way. And uh, I'm gonna give this guy credit. He's another guy that Curtis and I look. I, I had him out the door. I had I had him like off, like he was gone. Like he was going to the transfer portal, but this guy stuck around easily could have transferred out. I mean, this is the day and age where if a quarterback doesn't win the job right away, they are gone. This dude stuck around. He continues to improve, continues to work, and you are seeing the results. And I, I mean, dude, I, I'm, I'm full on in the 2022 season right now, but that battle next year for the QB1 job is going to be one hell of a battle. And I don't even know how to handicap it right now. There's a lot of time left. Guys can going to continue to improve. I know the coaches love what they're seeing from Carson. He's the clear number two guy right now. Brock had a really big fall camp. Gunnar Stockton, the coaches are really, really high on him. I, I don't know what that's going to look like and how that's going to transpire, but man, it's going to be one hell of a battle. But Carson Beck has, uh, has really, really picked up his game. And I'm really excited with what I've seen from him to this point in the season. All right, guys, that officially does it for our week three recap episode of Georgia's dismantling of the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I I tweeted this out after the game. I'll I'll probably mention it later on in the week. I am officially done. I am in remission 100% of old Georgia syndrome, completely cured. It's over. I am no longer scared of big spreads. I am going to pick Georgia to cover the spread every game the rest of the season. I am done being an idiot. I'm being I'm done being mocked and feeling like a fool for always trying to talk myself into some reason to be worried. I'm done. Larry Munson, love you. No more. We'll see how long that lasts, but that's where I am right now. But uh, we've got a lot more content for you guys the rest of the week. Charlie and I will be back with our mailbag episode in a couple of days. We're, uh, after a couple of rewatches, have a, maybe a, a more in-depth look into some of the things that did not make this instant reaction episode from this past week's game. Maybe even looking forward to next week's game, although I don't know how many questions we'll have about Kent State. We'll get to that. Then uh, we're not going to have a preview episode, not a traditional preview episode this week because it is you know Kent State. I know none of you want to listen to that. I understand that, so I want to give you content that you want. I will talk a little bit about Kent State because they are better than Sanford. This is like a legitimate MAC team. We'll talk a little bit about them, but I will also have version 2.0 of my SEC power rankings. Did that following the, the week one win over Oregon. We got our first look at all these teams. Now that we've got more information to operate off of, I'm going to bring you guys version 2.0. And then of course, Charlie and I will wrap things up at the end of the week with our picks of the week where we are giving you winner after winner. Guys, come on, sign up with my bookie now, help yourself out, put some money in that pocket mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA. Got about two weeks to do that before this promo runs out because we are giving you winners each and every week. But thank you for being here, guys. We love you. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>